this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to New Books in Dance. I'm your host, Sitara Thabani. Today I'll be speaking with Dr. Victoria Fortuna, author of Moving Otherwise, Dance, Violence, and Memory in Buenos Aires. Moving Otherwise examines the different ways in which contemporary dance practices have engaged in political mobilization in the context of the political and economic violence that has shaped Argentina from the 1960s into the 21st century. It is published by Oxford University Press. Welcome to New Books Network's channel, New Books in Dance. I'm Siddhartha Thavani, your host of this channel, and today it is my pleasure to be speaking with Victoria Fortuna, Assistant Professor in the Dance Department at Reed College. Victoria Fortuna is the author of the new book, Moving Otherwise, Dance, Violence, and Memory in Buenos Aires, published by Oxford University Press. Victoria, welcome to New Books Network today. Thank you so much for the warm welcome, and thank you so much for the invitation to participate in this podcast. I very much look forward to our conversation. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. And, and let me congratulate you on your book. It's a fantastic read. And there's something really exciting about the sense of the material that you're unearthing and, and the connections that you're making, which gives the sense of, of reading histories that really aren't very well known, which is really very exciting. So um, uh, again, congratulations on your book. To begin, could you tell us a little bit about the genesis of the project, how it started, where this uh, research came from? Absolutely. Sure. Um, So as I discuss a little bit in the prologue to the book, um, this project began um, now now a little over a decade ago. um, And as an undergraduate, um, I did a semester of study abroad in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, And as an undergraduate, I was trained as a dancer, but also studied comparative literature and was studying dance in Buenos Aires. Um, and just became very interested, actually, in, in how little I knew <laughs> about the history of concert dance in Buenos Aires. Um, and at the same time that I became interested in those gaps in knowledge, I also became very interested um, in histories of political mobilization and activism in Argentina. And that is something that I had read a lot about and knew a lot about um, through my coursework um, and wanted to put those stories together. Um, and so that's really where the project began, was a desire to both um, understand um, sort of transnational histories of concert dance, at least in the English historiography, this continues to largely be true. Um, when we talk about the history of classical ballet, modern dance, and contemporary dance, it very much tends to be a story um, of the United States and Europe. 
Um, and what I hope the book does and what I hope the project contributes to um, and other scholars are at work on this project as well um, is opening up that historical conversation a bit um, beyond those geographies um, and thinking about how the history of, in my case, contemporary dance in, in Argentina was not happening in some sort of lag or delay behind the U.S. and Europe. It was very much in conversation with those artistic genealogies. Um, so, you know, the project was really an interest in thinking about that history and then also understanding the role that contemporary dance historically played um, in responding to climates of political and economic violence um, from, you know, from sort of the, the late 1960s. The book starts in the late 1960s to the present. Um, so that's where the project came from. Okay, well, it's fantastic. You've you've already touched on on so many of the points that I was hoping to to delve into deeper, and uh, that is the sense of what it means to study contemporary dance in a way that really decenters the global north, as you suggest, right? Really looking at its histories in the global south, but also really uncovering the role that contemporary dance played, or the relationship between uh, these dance practices and political activism, a relationship that you point out isn't one that is so uh, readily acknowledged or, or, or visible. Um, I think that comes out in, in this concept of move, moving otherwise that you offer both as the title of your book and you develop in, in your book as well. Could you tell us a bit about that concept and, and what that means, moving otherwise? Absolutely. Um, sure. So, and again, this concept, um, you know, as a sort of theoretical concept, very much comes out of some of the points that you're that you're mentioning, <laughs> um, which is in addition to sort of wanting to trace the, a kind of transnational historiography of contemporary dance. Um, you know, the flip side of that that I mentioned before, feeling like I had a certain familiarity um, with artistic, political artistic movements in Argentina that have been well documented in the scholarship. So, open theater, for example. Um, is one kind of very prominent example. Um, and activist movements like the Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo um, and groups like Hijos, which stands for children um, in Spanish, which is a group of children of desaparecidos or disappeared persons um, whose activist strategies involve performance as a way of calling attention to um, both juridical impunity, um, but also as a practice of memory in the present. Um, and as I discuss in the book, when I initially started thinking about um, contemporary dance's political articulations in Buenos Aires, I sort of went to those familiar spaces, right? So in addition to there being an open theater, there was an open dance, Danza Abierta, um, that very little had been written about. Um, and there had also actually been um, a Dance for Identity festival. Um, theater for Identity is a well-known um, festival that... Um, that um, is about the theatrical works that are very much about um, recuperating memory um, around the last military dictatorship, which is um, was 1976 to 1983. Um, and so I started to look in those spaces for how dance was participating. And what I quickly learned, actually, um, is that we lose a lot <laughs> if we focus on those sort of more well-known articulations of performance and politics. Um, and so this concept of moving otherwise really came out of trying to find a situated way of thinking about dance's politics on its own terms. Um, and an interlocutor, actually, this concept came out of an interview that I did um, with Deborah Kalmar, who um, is the daughter of Patricia Fiocoy, who's credited with, um, with founding um, a practice called Expresión Corporal in Argentina, or corporeal expression, um, that we might think of under the kind of large umbrella of contemporary dance, but has its own movement-based genesis. Um, but she and I were discussing her experiences um, living in Argentina and dancing during the last military dictatorship. And she was talking about and reflecting on Argentina's histories of political violence, which are certainly not limited to that period. Um, 
and talked about how, you know, she had this sense, right, that why dance and movement practice became so important to her during those periods was there was this feeling that, like, the dominant movement was directed by some other force that wasn't the individual. And so for her, the kind of power that dance had was the ability to intervene in this, was the ability to actually move differently, right, than normative forces or normative social choreographies were asking citizens' bodies to move. Um, so that's where this concept of moving otherwise comes from, which is this idea that dance has a way of negotiating or intervening um, in the everyday choreographies that accompany climates of political and economic violence. And those can be um, maybe more direct articulations. An example I think about in the book, um, for example, with the Open Dance Festival that I mentioned, which was a festival um, that took place during the last military dictatorship, sort of explicitly um, in protest of the government's restrictions on the arts. Um, I talk about how, you know, regardless of whether the dance works on that festival um, were, you know, explicitly addressing the authoritarian climate, um, I was actually more interested in the kind of forms of community that rose up around that. So, for example, um, person after person that I interviewed about this festival would talk about the long lines that formed outside of the theaters um, where this festival took place, right? And people, what they remembered most was just the lines and lines of people waiting to get inside. And why this takes on so much importance during the last military dictatorship is there were explicit sort of legal restrictions on gatherings in public and private spaces, um, right, to limit mobilization and potential protest. So, you know, these lines outside the theater were a kind of challenge to that at the same time that they were, it was sort of saying, well, we're just here to see dance, right? It's ostensibly, you know, non-political, um, you know, not sort of taking the form, right, of a traditional protest or demonstration, but still became a way of kind of invading um, those restrictions on how bodies were supposed to move in public space. Uh, so that's one example, right, that we might think of as moving otherwise. Um, there are also much more subtle ways, Um so during this period, for example, folks also talked about how studios became protected spaces for not necessarily enacting any kind of explicit form of resistance, but as a way of being in your body um, and having a sort of sense of peace and presence and relative safety that just wasn't possible on the street in day-to-day life. Um, so my hope, right, is that a con- is a concept moving otherwise can be capacious um, in articulating sort of much more subtle interventions <laughs> in, um, in sort of how, you know, political and economic violence move, um, all the way to those more explicit kind of confrontations of power. So it's really about kind of what you're showing is it's about the embodied experience of the dancer, but it's also about bringing these various bodies together in community and in these spaces that becomes this political activity. Yes. That's, that's very interesting. Um, and then I think what you've just pointed to uh, towards the end of your response right now, uh, the, the, the different kinds of violence to which these dancers and these audiences and communities are responding, be that uh, the violence of military dictatorship uh, or, or uh, more economic forms of violence. Uh, could you speak to kind of the different things to which uh, dance in general and, and dancers and audiences more specifically are responding to or resisting, uh, both in terms of the archival research that you conducted for this study, as well as your more contemporary research as well? Absolutely, yes. And thank you for that for that question. Um, and I think this is another opportunity to actually talk about the genesis of the project as well, because when I went into... Um, when I went into the research, um, first as an undergraduate and then later as a graduate student, and then you know after that as a faculty member, 
um, it really, the time period itself um, and the forms of violence that I was interested in really expanded over time. So initially, um, the idea was to was to conduct the project around the period of the last military dictatorship, which again, that was 1976 to 1993, um, and is a period um, associated with forced disappearance of an estimated 30,000 Argentine citizens. Um, obviously, it's a dark period in the country's history and also a period that's received a considerable amount of scholarly attention um, across the disciplines. Um, but as I started doing research, um, I actually realized that to understand how dance moved under otherwise and to really understand dance's political intervention, we needed to take a broader scope. And that broader scope, um, I think, both supported the kind of historiographic um, sort of goals, I guess we could say, of the project, but also, I hope, um, intervenes in thinking about um, histories of violence in Argentina that have, again, focused overwhelmingly on the period of the last military dictatorship. Um, so the book actually starts in the late 1960s. So in 1966, um, and it generally is sort of thinking about um, post-Peronism. So Juan Domingo Perón, um, who is a well-known populist president, sort of following his presidency's um, his first two terms in the 50s, there were a series of, um, of military coups that, that kind of contributed to the destabilized situation that eventually um, results in the last military dictatorship in the 70s. Um, and so the late 1960s offered, um, so post actually the dictatorship that took over in 1966, um, which was Juan Carlos um, was really coincided. So that moment coincided with um, really what we could say was the sort of earliest generation of contemporary dancers becoming established in the city as artists and in some cultural institutions in the city. Um, and so the dictatorship, some of the way that, you know, that, that it tends to get written about, the 1966 dictatorship, is it sort of interrupted what was otherwise a period of um, a, a really kind of robust period of cultural production in Buenos Aires. So um, the book sort of starts the story, really, of contemporary dance at this moment. So we see contemporary dancers really starting to um, establish themselves in the city, and then this dictatorship occurs, right? Um, and the book is looking at, um, so the first chapter looks at two artists, um, Ana Kamin and Susana Simerman, and their work in that period, um, which was sort of, again, responding in kind of a subtle way. Um, to the social restrictions that were occurring at the time. I look at a piece by Anna Kamian that, um, that stages a, um, a firing squad, actually, at the end, um, and talk about the ways in which that work both reflects um, increasing military violence that is occurring at the time, but also the rise of revolutionary violence um, through militant groups that was happening at that time. Um, the book then kind of goes through the early 1970s and looks at the relatively undocumented participation of contemporary dancers and leftist militant groups in the early 1970s, right, which is a different um, way of thinking about violence. The book is very, you know, first interested in sort of state violence and government violence, um, but is also looking right um, at revolutionary violence and how dancers um, were part of that story. Um, and then the next chapter does consider the period of the last military dictatorship, right, where again we have um, kind of questions, very explicit questions of political violence happening. And, you know, a later chapter looks at how contemporary dancers, um, sort of particularly ones who experienced, um, who experienced state violence themselves, later created works that were responding to that as forms of um, both kind of like reparative work, um, but also forms of mourning themselves. Um, and then the most contemporary work, the most sort of recent work that I look at, um, is following the 2001 economic crisis. So in December 2001. Um, Argentina suffered um, an incredibly severe economic crisis, which was um, both the result of kind of the long-term legacy 
of economic policies first put in place during the dictatorships of the 60s and 70s, but then very much compounded um, by intense neoliberal reform in the 1990s. Um, and contemporary dancers we see sort of after the 2001 economic crisis, the first time really in kind of <laughs> large numbers participating in what we might think of as traditional forms of polit political engagement, so um, mass demonstrations and protests. Um, but we also see contemporary dancers really um, echoing what were broader movements around um, cooperative politics. So as a way of um, counteracting the sort of individualism <laughs> and vertical um, hierarchies that were linked, right, with the um, with the reasons really for the crisis. Um, and, you know, in that more contemporary work, I think about how those cooperative politics as a response to economic crisis also become wrapped up um, in memory of the last military dictatorship as a way of both recuperating that historical link, so how those economic policies were actually linked, um, but also as a way of using dance to think about how the body can archive and, um, and intervene, <laughs> right, um, in, in a long, um, I guess you call it the long delay of memory. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Thank you for that, because uh, you now uh, are bringing up kind of these themes of memory uh, that you explore in this book, as well as questions of trauma. Could you tell us a little bit more about uh, the research and, and, and what that showed you in relation to these themes? Sure, absolutely. Um, and so, again, this was something that you know I initially was thinking about around the period of the last military dictatorship, but, um, but in the course of researching and writing the book, um, I think questions of trauma really do um, really do sort of appear across the historical breadth that I just um, that I just outlined, um, but probably centers the most strongly in the chapter that looks at um, contemporary dances produced in the wake of the last military dictatorship that are specifically taking that view. Um, and the book is particularly tracing um, the prominence of tango themes um, in contemporary dance works that are um, that are engaging with trauma. Um, so in a chapter called Moving Trauma, in fact, I'm interested in thinking about, um, you know, sort of picking up on discussions in trauma theory um, about how trauma, you know, we conceive of trauma as a series of returns. And I'm really interested in how that sort of cycle of return, right? So thinking about trauma, not only as something that happens in a particular moment, but something that it then both repeats itself into the body and psyche of the survivor. Um, and comes back and flashes and pieces across time, how we can think of that as like as a kinetic structure in and of itself. Um, so in that chapter, I'm looking at three pieces, um, one piece by Susana Tambuti called La Puñalada, or The Stab, um, which is a piece that invokes tango themes, um, and then a work by Sylvia Vladimirsky, um, called the name other tangos um, that is that, and that's a work where she's specifically thinking about um, her own history of sort of having um, a loved one disappeared um, and then a third piece um, by Sylvia Hodgers called Maria Mar um, and that is a piece that's investigating her own history as a, as a detainee um, and having survived torture um, and in all three of these works, and the piece, the La Puñala, so the stab, the first piece I mentioned, is a little different insofar as that choreographer is not explicitly addressing her own um, experiences. Um, 
with state violence, but is sort of using dance and using um, history of tango actually to to sort of think about histories of violence and how um, and how movement forms tango and contemporary dance, both of them, um, can be a way of telling those histories and introducing them. Um, so in all of these cases, it's not necessarily about creating a narrative piece, right? That's representing violence on the stage, and there's been such wonderful work that's asked us to think critically um, about what the ethics are um, of representing violence and in what cases that might count, um, or that might constitute rather, a form of re-traumatization for victims. These pieces are less interested in any kind of literal representation, and they're more interested in how um, using different kind of evocative movements or movement histories, right, in the case of the tango, can create opportunities for, um, for both making memory present in a way that can constitute a kind of Right. So in the Sylvia Hodgers piece, for example, where she's thinking about her own experience as a political prisoner, um, there are moments where um, where movements themselves kind of open us up to a past that we know is always already fractured. Right. And that we can't necessarily create a kind of cohesive narrative structure. Um, but the act of sort of putting the body into that history and allowing that to come to the present for this choreographer in particular um, constitutes a form of um, of, of mourning, right, or sort of engaging with trauma in a way that is productive. Um, yeah, so those are those are some of the ways that the books get through trauma. That, that brings me to my next question, which is really about how you went about conducting research for this book. You quite successfully bring together archival research and more uh, ethnographic research based on your own experiences as a dancer, as well as interviews. So for you as the researcher, what was that process like in, in kind of uncovering this material or, or dealing with many of these issues? Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. So um, the mixed methodology approach, um, it became clear very quickly that that was really the only way um, to approach this material for a number of reasons, um, some of which are structural and others are um, really, I think, come from a place of the ethics of the project. Um, so in terms of archives, um, Argentina does not have a centralized archive, archive dedicated to dance. Um, there are a few archives attached to theaters, generally state-funded theaters, that document the activities of, um, of you know, dance performances presented in those spaces, um, but those tend to be, of course, they're selective, right, based on the theater. Um, so there was a kind of archive question from the beginning, um, and knowing that um, a lot of my archival work <laughs> would not necessarily take place in an official archive, um, the vast majority of it took place um, thanks to the generosity of my interlocutors in their dining rooms and storage closets and living rooms, um, and I can never sort of say thank you and be grateful enough to the many, many people who opened their homes to me um, and allowed me to go through their collections. Um, and that is, you know, that's really where the vast majority of the material comes from. Um, and sort of what that means, right, as an archival practice is that your archival work is always already ethnographic to a certain extent, right? Um, because you're not necessarily, right, talking to a librarian and just the, 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 little, the literal choreography of it is different, right? Um, so, you know, the coffee or the tea that I was able to share with folks as I was going through their material and actually able to, you know, talk to them and sort of reconstruct narratives as I was you know, scanning documents was, um, you know, a tremendous opportunity and incredibly um, important in how, um, in how I went about reconstructing these, these histories, right? So in the archival encounter itself, right, oral history, um, 
and interviews were, were there already present in addition to the kind of formalized sit-down interviews that I conducted. Um, and aside from those two pieces, my own embodied um, knowledge as a contemporary dancer, I have a background in modern and contemporary dance, also became very important um, in the more contemporary work, so the work that looks at groups that are still active today. Um, so one of the groups I discuss that is, um, that is currently active is Dancers for Life, um, a community dance group that formed following the 2001 economic crisis um, and rehearsed for many years in a factory that was recuperated by workers following its closure during the crisis. So it represented that kind of um, cooperative labor approach, right, that I was talking about when I was um, mentioning that period. Um, and I participated with that group as a performer um, and still participate with them when I can and when I'm in Buenos Aires. And so my embodied knowledge of their, um, of their approach to making work and my physical knowledge of their um, of the pieces that I performed with them then, um, you know, certainly are part of how I analyze their work um, and discuss their work and write about their work. Um, so, you know, both because of the sort of, um, I guess I would maybe call it sort of non-institutionalized, right, nature of dance materials necessitated that varied approach, um, but also the focus on violence, right? I mean, even if there were, right, as we well know, right, archives that are already assembled, um, you know, come with their own narratives, right? Um, to kind of think through the histories that I really wanted to think through required that sort of um, required body-to-body -body work, right? Um, and, you know, again, I would just express my gratefulness to the people who were, who were willing to sit down with me and not only share their material, but go back into paths that are deeply painful, um, and I'm just deeply grateful for their willingness to do that and hope that the work does those stories justice. I think it does. If I can turn now back to the the topic of, of dance, what's really striking in your book is this broad spectrum that you actually cover, even though you have this focus on contemporary dance. Uh, you're looking at contexts from the concert stage to staged protest to impromptu movement, but you're also looking at different dance traditions as well and, and the influences that they might have or the ways in which dancers are, are drawing upon traditions such as tango or folkloric dance or even Afro-Latin traditions like like the Orisha dance that you uh, begin and end with as well. So could you tell us what are some of the theoretical lessons or, or challenges that uh, emerge in, in the kind of approach that you take looking at this wide array of contexts as well as dance traditions? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so certainly, I think in many ways, um, like taking the category of contemporary dance as the, you know, as the lens pr does present a huge methodological challenge. Um, and precisely because of the breadth that you're mentioning um, and, you know, the choice that I made, right, in sort of taking on this kind of um, broad, I guess we could say, definition of contemporary that is very much founded on sort of how the term functions contemporarily in Buenos Aires. At the same time, right, I also knew that I was putting practices together that, um, Maybe, you know, depending on sort of what an individual's orientation to the Buenos Aires community, dance community might be, might not necessarily seem like they go together. Um, but my desire to do that really came from a place of, um, of, again, kind of trying to trace these artistic genealogies and work through and decenter a little bit, I think, the categories that um, maybe in the dance field we, you know, or the categorizations that are sort of understood or received. Um, so 
So for example, I was talking at the beginning um, when I was talking about moving otherwise and that concept, I mentioned Deborah Kalmar and expression corporal or corporeal expression. Um, you know, this there's a huge debate, right, in the Argentine in the Argentine dance community about whether or not that actually counts as contemporary dance, <laughs> um, whether or not it actually um, you know, sort of shares the same artistic genealogy. Um, I make the argument that it does, right, based on the founder and what her training was and what her, you know, what her hopes um, for the practice were. Um, I actually just had the opportunity to teach an intensive grad seminar in Argentina and a student is working on a wonderful research project that's really trying to think through this debate (laughs) um, and what the political stakes in it are. Um, Similarly, um, tango, of course, um, is, you know, sort of internationally associated with with Argentine dance and um, is very, you know, a very complex topic. And there's been such wonderful scholarship on tango as both a social practice um, as well as a concert form, right? So the the kind of um, appearance, particularly of kind of large scale, big budget Broadway tango productions that we start to see um, kind of in the 80s appearing for the first time. Um, and I, you know, I initially started this project with sort of the, you know, the politics of saying like, you know, we, my feeling, right, that oftentimes um, in the kind of dance history imagination, t- Argentine dance was all tango, right? There was only tango. <laughs> um, and I really wanted to highlight, you know, concert dance history and, and saw that as like, and still do see that as a political gesture, right? That's again, sort of decentering the global north as the, you know, historical founder and now center of concert dance and absolutely, you know, stand by that argument. But at the same time, right, it became very clear to me in doing the actual research that really interesting dialogues between contemporary dance and tango that were not about the sort of exoticized tango of international dreams, but were very much about thinking about tango's origins in turn of the century of Buenos Aires and its association with marginal communities and its sort of early desires to really speak to histories of migration and poverty and struggle um, and how choreographers were interested in working with those ideas um, at the same time that, you know, they had to negotiate that international, you know, what Marta Sibigliano called the political economy of passion, right? Um, had to sort of, you know, especially folks who are producing, um, who are performing abroad um, and looking to present their work in Europe. I mean, even if they were trying to recuperate this, you know, I guess it's called other history of tango, um, when they're presenting their work, they were still very much confronted with this sort of exoticized, right, heavily racialized idea of um, international and global idea that could be what tango leaders should be. Um, and so I got very interested, right, in untangling all the kind of, um, all the politics around that, right, of, of you know, what kind of, where sort of geographically where we assume certain forms should land, um, how we racialize those forms, um, and how we think about their travel globally. Um, so that's where tango really became very important, um, you know, and, and very interestingly, as I was mentioning before, it became really central for choreographers in thinking about histories of political violence. Um, and then um, the Orisha dance that you were mentioning, that in many ways, um, not necessarily an outlier. I mean, this is a group, um, they are no longer active. They've sort of reconfigured it in a new form. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but Odudua Dance Afroamericana or Odudua Afroamerican Dance. Um, is a group that um, practices Orisha dance and for many years um, organized hundreds of volunteers to perform um, in the annual march that commemorates the coup that began the last military dictatorship. Um, And sort of for them, right, so sort of Orisha's dance is symbolism, right? So um, historically, a Yuban tradition um, where movements are associated with certain Orishas or gods um, have sort of incredibly powerful meaning. It's a form that's um, 
that's also practiced secularly as they do. Um, and they were interested in thinking about how those movements and the meanings associated with them could be put to work as a form of memory, right? So how could they create choreographies um, that um, that were reflecting on the particularities of Argentina's um, history of political violence? And um, while some of those choreographers, uh, well, some of those folks involved in that group are contemporary dancers, um, they do, I think, sort of see their practice, their Orisha dance practice as separate. Um, and I, you know, became very interested in that case, of course, because it was associated with memory and politics and political violence, but also because of the complex racial politics that it introduces, right? So the women in the group themselves um, largely identify as white. Um, the women who perform as, vol- as volunteers, um, equally so, not exclusively, but equally so. Um, and there's a lot to be said there, right, about Argentina's historical um, kind of self-positioning nationally um, as exceptionally white and European among Latin American nations. And so I wanted to kind of, this is a group I discussed in the epilogue, and I really wanted to end on that group because I think it's it's very messy and it's complicated. <laughs> and it and it tells us a lot about how memory itself is messy and complicated and always a kind of terrain of struggle <laughs> and always in construction. Um, so in some ways, um, you know, the book sort of does end moving a little bit away, right, from concert dance. Um, and from contemporary dance and more toward, you know, thinking about how a practice like Orisha dance um, can both do very powerful work in Argentina in relationship to the histories of violence it wants to address locally at the same time that it's introducing a complex set of issues, right, um, around race, around um, appropriation, right, around all, um, all kinds of questions that arise. I think that's a, a very interesting place to to end up at at this point because you've you've drawn attention to the ways in which these practices are racialized and also the question of Argentinian uh, national identity as you know kind of this extension of a European identity or a very Eurocentric identity and I'm curious because these issues come up in your your book but they do seem like they're um, also kind of issues waiting for future development. So I'm, I'm curious to ask, A, uh, how, if at all, uh, these issues were brought up by the dancers that you studied or worked with, and, and B, just to ask, you know, kind of what are future directions now of your research? What are, what are you turning yeah. to now? Um, so in the case of Odudua Danza Dominicana, I mean, this was certainly, this was certainly something on their minds, right? Um, and something that they, um, you know, that they were doing a lot of critical thinking about and writing about um, as well. Um, and some of that writing I engaged with in the, in the prologue. Um, but, you know, and as I talk about in the book, I mean, thinking about concert dance's relationship to racial politics in Argentina is um, really ripe for research. Um, and that's something that I'm really hoping to, um, to work on in the future. Um, so I'm currently actually I've just started some new research, um, on Miriam Winslow, who is a U.S. born dancer and is credited with founding the first modern dance company in Argentina in um, the mid 1940s. Um, and I mentioned her only briefly in the introduction and was able to do some preliminary research on her, during the research for the first book, but um, but it was one of those things where I was like, okay, we got to mark this for future <laughs> for future work. And um, I was especially interested. You know, I had only seen a few photographs 
of some of the dances she had produced. Um, and this is one she trained with um, Ruth St. Dennis and Ted Sean. So very much um, came from that line of kind of U.S. modern dance that was um, very much invested <laughs> in producing a sort of un universalism and Americanism, but through a kind of fetishization and exoticism of difference. Um, so in some of the photographs I had seen of her works, um, it looked like she had produced some dances on Latin American themes, and I was very curious about that. And had the opportunity recently, um, I'm on junior sabbatical currently and have a fellowship at the New York Public Library to look at her papers. I was really curious <laughs> um, about what role, if any, um, you know, sort of race played in her work and what relationship they might have to kind of Argentine um, discourses around racial exceptionalism, which are very much attached, I would say, to kind of high art spaces, right? That like ballet and, and potentially modern dance, right? Because it's sort of the question I'm trying to understand. Um, and what became clear through that research is um, her, her dances on Latin American themes, yes, they were performed with the company that she founded in Argentina, um, but actually were, I think, much more connected to her history with Ted Sean, right? And sort of Ted Sean's fixation with otherness and um, the way in which that then gets aligned with kind of, in a complicated way, with um, universalism and Americanism. Um, so I'm really excited for that research. It's very new. Um, lots is left to be done. <laughs> But that's really the question that I left the research for the first project with, um, because it's not something that presented itself with any consistency in the interview work that I did um, or the archival research. And I think it's a really exciting moment for research on race in Argentina. A few new books have just come out. They were really trying to um, rethink in many ways what has been a kind of dominant discourse around, well, you know, there, there's no language for race in Argentina or that it doesn't, you know, <laughs> or that it's not a sort of useful category of analysis. And there's been um, a series of books that have come out that are sort of very much saying like, like no, <laughs> like this narrative of whiteness is something that has to be constantly reaffirmed. Like, of course, this is a useful category of analysis in Argentina. Um, and it's something that we, um, that you know, there's lots of work left to be done. So um, I look forward to where that project will lead. Um, I think that the work on Uruguay was very much kind of previewing that and <laughs> was very much about my interesting curiosity in, um, in understanding dances, um, you know, both where dance has upheld those narratives of whiteness and then potentially where it's interrupted them. So, so I look forward to, to more work there. Oh, fantastic. Well, I look forward to reading it. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about your book, Moving Otherwise. I've been speaking with Dr. Victoria Fortuna, the author of Moving Otherwise, recently published by Oxford University Press. Thank you for joining me and thank you to our audience for listening to this channel of New Books Network, New Books Index.